Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. This week I have Jason Barrera on. I know that that I should probably roll an R or two, and I apologize, but I can't. Uh, it's just one of those things I cannot do. So Jason Barrera, uh, by the recommendation of Rachel Gomez. So Rachel recommended his name. I had never met Jason. Still, you know, technically haven't met him. Virtually I've met him, and we saw each other, and we know what each other looked like, but uh, I haven't been in his presence at any convention or festival or UIL when I play or anything like that. Uh, and so it was really great to meet him because I had no idea, I had no idea who he was. And, uh, and I don't mean that to be rude. I just, you know, we don't know everybody. And that's part of why I love doing this podcast because I personally, and I've mentioned this to mentioned this numerous times that I selfishly kind of do this podcast to get to know people expand my own personal network why not so I uh, really thoroughly enjoyed getting to know him and what's funny and I won't disclose too much information but uh, when I stopped recording we kept talking for a little bit and we agree on something that I've made very public on this podcast in the past and I uh, won't keep harping on it because I don't want things to uh, necessarily be negative for him as well so but I I really enjoyed getting to know him he's a very very well-spoken individual with a lot of strong opinion when it comes to theater and high school theater and educational theater and so I just I just really enjoyed it the other reason I probably enjoyed it so much was no offense to Jason but if I had interviewed anyone that day that particular day I would have probably thoroughly enjoyed it because it was a horrible day for me. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is struggling through this sort of face-to-face slash online and I don't know if it's necessarily my school, my district, the state, whatever it might be, but it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess and um, I'm not going to get too deep into it because I want to keep my job and I don't know who listens to this, but if you want to hear you know, the personal complaints, then by all means, reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Mr. Blake Miner, or you can talk to me on Facebook or something, but, uh, this was a horrible week. This was a horrible, horrible week, uh, with students moving from class to class, students going from face to face to online, not being told that there were coronavirus cases in my school, which is not an administrative thing. That's just how the protocol is of my district. And there were just all kinds of issues that I was fired up about, especially when I interviewed Jason, and I didn't let that get in the way, and I had a, just a, a great conversation with him, and it helped me get happy again, and then I woke up the next morning, and you know, all that washed away because of the current situation we're in, and it just sucks, and uh, my, my glass is empty, and I have nothing to offer to the students, which is really, really horrible, and uh, sort of uh, maybe this is a cry for help for somebody to reach out and just say, hey, it's okay. We're all in this together. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before, but it's true. Um, I'm very, very done. Uh, and I, I know that there are a lot of other theater teachers that feel the same way because just the, the lack of quality education happening right now isn't because 
the students or because of the teachers. And really, it's not even the administrators. It's stuff we can't control. It's, it's almost nobody's fault. But there are things that have happened to me and to uh, other people that I know could have been sort of uh, uh, avoided if planning had been done just a little better within the state of Texas, and it wasn't. So uh, that's my soapbox. I don't want to taint Jason's episode, his his pod, um, but I do want you to reach out to me if you have anything that you would like to say. Uh, I'm not going to air your grievances, but I would love to just kind of, you know, I don't curse very much on here, but I'd love to shoot the shit with you about uh, the the current state that we're in because I know a lot of us have our opinions and want to get this fixed as quick as possible. And some of us are doing things to help get this fixed. So please enjoy, enjoy, enjoy this interview with Mr. Jason Barrera. I think I'll start by saying that I I had a wonderful high school theater experience uh, just from the day one when I when I started high school. Uh, like so many other people, my, my theater directors really inspired me to not only be the best that I could on stage, but to grow as a person. Uh, and, and they really became that those the, that second set of parents, you know, that so many kids need. And so I think that a lot of my my theater experience and everything that I love about theater and what I'm doing now really comes back to to them. And so, you know, that's just the first and, and probably the most important thing, especially amongst us theater educators to recognize that everything that everyone's doing in this in this state and in the country and in the world really with theater education is so important because it it helps to create other educators like us. So you know, shout out to uh, to to my theater directors uh, at McAllen Memorial High School. Um, after high school, I was I was very fortunate uh, to have the opportunity to go study out of state. I went to Ithaca College in upstate New York, and um, at the time, that was not anywhere on my radar. Um, I, I I grew up in a, a very poor family, a single mother, and for many years, it just kind of seemed like my route was uh, the military and um, in other ways in which I could find uh, financial means to maybe go to school, uh, but ultimately just to like live a better life. Right. And so it seemed really far fetched to me for a poor kid from the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas to go and study theater and to eventually make a living. And I understand why people have, are skeptical of doing that, um, but I, I, I don't know. It, it's something just uh, just really turned me into uh, into this path. Um, I mean, I was I, I was moments away from signing to to go into officer training programs um, before my senior year of high school, uh, which would basically commit me to like at least the reserves in the military. And, and something at that moment just said, no, like theater is still an option. And even though I didn't come from a lot of money, I decided to apply everywhere. Uh, I had a lot of reason to believe. I had a lot of confidence in myself at the time. Um, I really wanted to go into directing. Obviously we're, you know, at that age, we're all kind of actors and we want to be actors as well. But, but I, I really wanted to learn everything I could about theater. And I felt like, people were giving me enough reason to believe that I would be a talented director. So I started applying to 
every good school out there. And, and I knew that it would come down to money. And I, I got into a handful of them and, and this small liberal arts school in upstate New York uh, gave me enough money to, to, to put me in a position where I was able to go study and, and be with some of the, some really, really great performers from across the country. And, um, and, and from there, I got to spend a semester at the National Theater Institute uh, at the O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut, work with a bunch of professionals there. And I just had a really, really wonderful experience and came out of it with this really big breadth of knowledge uh, and experience. Uh, there were moments in my college experience where I was putting together these kind of underground shows in, in little studios and, and I was trying to work with a, with a lighting designer and, and instead of like turning over all of the responsibilities and duties to this, to this other person, I'm, I'm really in the room with them and, and I'm asking all these questions and, and it's like, how do I, what, what, what does this do? What does this circuit do? What is this number here? What, what is the name of this outlet? What is the name of this? And it's a lot of learning by doing. And, and by the time I graduated, I really felt like uh, because of that, that breadth of knowledge, you know, I, I take no, uh, no hesitation in saying that I'm a jack of all trades. I kind of hate the, the adage that get, paints that in a negative light. Uh, us theater educators, we are jacks and jills of all trades, right? And so I, I decided that I wanted to go into education and ultimately give back to other people in my community uh, what my my theater directors gave to me and and I was I was very fortunate to to land a uh, a middle school position in the same town that I grew up in so I came back down to the Rio Grande Valley and I taught a year of middle school and that was a blast and it just so happened that right after that year there was an opening in one of our high schools and and many of these districts, many of these schools, these these openings don't happen, but you know, once a decade, if that. And so, I threw my name in the hat, and um, and they decided to trust me. And I was young at the time, and the program was in need of uh, of some repair and and some uh, some growth. And and I was the only director at that time. And you know, like many programs in the state, you're working with a smaller budget, you're working with a lower stipend, and and I just put all those things down on a on a goal list, right? And, and said, you know, if, the point of me doing this and the point of me being here is to develop and do something that is going to, that is bigger than me, is gonna last longer than I am in this position. So, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to increase that stipend so that we could attract other, other high quality staff in the future. Uh, I wanted to increase that budget, which, which is now like more than quadrupled. I uh, wanted to see and make sure that the, uh, the facilities get renovated, which finally happened last year and, um, and ultimately provide student success and opportunities for students to, to thrive. And, and that's something that I, I'm very proud that we've been able to do from, from day one. So I've been teaching theater for, uh, this is my 10th year now and nine years uh, in high school. And it's, it's my life and uh, it's, it's what I love. Um, I, I tell my students that, uh, that every show we do what really, really motivates me is challenging myself 
to do something I've never done before. And, and I mean, students are first and foremost in this process, but it's also important as educators and directors in theater who do this kind of, you know, have the cyclical nature of a show and then another show and then another show and then another show over and over and over again to, to always have something that's either fun or you're a passion project or this or that. What really motivates me is, is taking on a challenge that I, I haven't taken on before, doing something I've never done before. Um, so, you know, for example, like, um, you know, in this particular play, I, I've never built a, a false ceiling and I want to really want to learn how to, instead of just put, put up flats going, you know, vertically, like a horizontal false ceiling, like how, how does that, how does that happen? How do you, how do you light that? Um, how do you, how do you build a, a grid of ceiling tiles like you would find in a classroom on stage? Um, I, I didn't know the answers to that, but starting a show and not knowing the answers is, is so thrilling and exciting. And I love sitting down in a room and telling students that I don't have the answer to this, but we will figure it out. And I think that's the process in which uh, we learn the most. And um, the other thing that's really drawn me to theater, and I, I teach this to my students, um, is the moment. And by the moment, I mean, you know, we, we all, in, in a show, in a story, uh, there's this kind of this like cathartic or crisis moment in which the, the protagonist usually is kind of at their like height of despair or, uh, or triumph. And, and it's a pivotal moment in that character's life. And uh, otherwise we wouldn't be watching a, a story about it. There wouldn't be a play written about, you know, this particular moment. We don't like watching, you know, everyday boring life on stage. Uh, we share the stories that, that kind of pivot us into a different trajectory of life and identifying those moments, not only on stage to make it memorable for the audience, but also, um, uh, getting students to identify what those moments are in their lives because in the same way that characters work to overcome obstacles in order to achieve objectives i think our job as educators in the theater world is to provide context for students to identify what obstacles are currently in the way of them overcoming their objectives and the more that we can help students achieve their super objective, I mean, that's that's just uh, that's life right there. And 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 I think that doing those things and and sharing the process with students and and providing this opportunity for the community to come in and enjoy and learn. I mean, I think we've got it made, man. Theater is just so fun, and and I love it so much. Yeah, no, you uh, you said a lot there, and and as I explained, and here's my creaky chair. Uh, but as I explained to every guest, I you know I I organically get questions uh, based on what you have to say, and you I've probably filled this my little I I sit here and I type. I look like I'm looking at you. I'm not. I'm I'm typing out questions <laughs> <laughs> of things I want to ask. Right. And and so so I think I have more questions for you than than anybody. Only because, uh, or especially cool. not not only because, but especially towards the end there when you were talking about the challenges. Because 
I am uh, very similar in that regard as well. I don't, I'm one that doesn't like repeating shows. I know there are directors that like to do, they have cycles right. of seasons and stuff. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have yet to repeat a show. Yeah, so, you know, one one thing we did a couple years ago, we did Sweeney Todd, and I uh, uh, that wasn't the plan to do that show that year. And so I knew the challenge that year was right. the chair, right? Uh, the famous, how do we do this? Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to purchase it. I didn't want to buy it um, or rent it. And yeah. so that was one of the things. And I was very honest with a couple of kids that helped me out. Um, that I don't, we're going to learn how to do this together. And it's exa- it's the same thing. So I, I do have a, did you, what show did you do a false uh, ceiling for? You, you spoke as though you're a professional now. So you, you, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> tell me what show that was. Right. Well, uh, so that last year was our fall play. It was okay. called the language archive by Ju- Julia Cho. Okay. And uh, it takes place in this kind of archive office setting and and something about that setting. Uh, it's the only central location. Right. Uh, there's a stage left and a stage right that alternated, but we needed this central location to look like an office. And because left and right rotated, you have to go minimalistic. Sure. I wanted to go really detailed in the center location that's going to be there throughout the whole play. And so in order to you know, amp up the detail of that central location, we decided there would be a floor and a, a false platform or, you know, have, have your wooden floors and yeah. a big bookshelf. And then we, we hung ceiling tiles and a ceiling grid um, from, from the battens and, uh, and put in, you know, those little f- fake fluorescent lights yeah. as well. And, you know, if you're, if you're not looking on the left and the right side, you, you would think that you're in a totally different Wow. place and man that was that was really fun what what uh, did you make any mistakes that you had to go back and troubleshoot or i mean what what type of tips would you give i know right now we're not building ceilings in our spaces we're not you know most of us aren't doing shows but uh like is there some i this is a selfish question because now i just want to know if i ever do this <laughs> i call jason right <laughs> so yeah um i think that hanging a ceiling grid to lay in tiles is all about levels and by levels i mean like having an actual level on hand (laughs) because you're you're hanging you're hanging these grids from battens using this this like you know strong wire that you know is is malleable but still strong enough to to hold it up sure um and and the other thing i did the very first thing i did was i popped out the ceiling tiles in my classroom got on a ladder and just looked around and figured out you know the kind of logistics and and infrastructure within that real uh ceiling and then replicated it on stage but it's really hard to make sure that the grid is entirely the same height from the ground Uh, because you're you're essentially just tying little knots out of this uh, out of this wire. So making sure that you've got a level on hand so that you don't accidentally start shifting a little right. bit down and and then all of a sudden the 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 tiles don't fit in there. And yeah, it was it was a little bit of a pain. Uh, I would also <laughs> suggest if you're gonna do the ceiling, maybe maybe consider, uh, not doing a false floor as well, because then you putting the ladder on top of a platform sure. in order to work, um, maybe stick with the floor by itself. <laughs> I think that's something I would have done if I could do the show over again okay. is just use the real stage floor. If you're going to create a ceiling. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Or, or do that last or do, yeah. Knock out the right. floor. Yeah. Do right. the floor at the end. 
Uh, is there a challenge yeah. that you that you've faced that has defeated you? Oh man! Uh, while you I think, I think while, it would be. I was going to say, while you think, I can give you an sorry? example. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, I mean, like I like I had the head, yeah no I had yeah the head, give, give me an example. I had the head of Oz. Um, we we wanted to create a moving head, a talking head. And it, it was mm-hmm. like a physical, massive floor to ceiling talking head. And it defeated us. We couldn't, we couldn't get it done in the time that we had in the, the way that we did it, uh, literally came crashing down on us when we, when we tried to move it. So that was a challenge that I eventually just threw my hands up and said, we don't have time. Uh, we've got to, we've got to move on to a solution sure. for the show. So what's, what's something sure. that you might have? Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, this is a tricky question because within the process, we adapt and we change our plans. And so sometimes adapting our plans is, is settling and, and in essence, that challenge defeated you, but at the same time, uh, modifying your plans to, to more attainable goals is totally legitimate and necessary because as, as creatives, we, we start with like the almost impossible uh, still on the table. And so I, I don't think that quite uh, constitutes. So I, I'm having a hard time yeah. uh, deciding, you know, what, what kind of defeat. There was one moment, though, in which I started preparing for my defeat. Um, <laughs> two years ago, we were doing, we were doing Newsies. Okay. And, and my challenge was to build platforms using steel pipe instead of wooden legs right. and and you know I, i've learned about bolting legs and supporting them and this and that and you know if it's x height you're going to use four by fours instead of two by fours and and this and that and i had all this stock four by fours and two buys and platforms already made and whatnot but instead of trying to make those wooden legs look uh industrial in the kind of the scaffolding look that we wanted um I really wanted to challenge ourselves to use steel pipe. So schedule 40, you know, really thick stuff um, and making platforms that are, we had some six, some eight and one 10 foot platform that was just entirely, the legs were entirely steel pipe. I had never done that. And, and people who have done it know how, how attainable and realistic and strong and supportive it is. So, you know, I'm sure there are people out there who are like, yeah, that's the way to go. What else are you doing? And then I'm sure there are other people who are like, I would never do that. That is so scary and probably really expensive, but it turned out to be almost as attainable as, as working with, with wooden legs. If you don't already know that, you know, the process of learning that is, is, is similar, but there was a moment when I was, uh, preparing to put up the 10 foot platform with steel legs. And I, I could see it kind of move a little bit. And, and on one hand, I was like, well, maybe this should just not be 10 foot tall. Maybe that's too much. And then at the same time, I remember walking out of rehearsal that day and stopping myself. And I turned around and I started counting my stock of four by four wooden legs. And I was counting that stock so that I could resort to using that if the pipe didn't work out. Yeah. And I, I've never told my students that <laughs> yeah. I've never told my students that. And, um, 
I, I regret doing that because, uh, you know, that's doubt. And, yeah. and, and until something literally cannot happen, there's, there's no room for that in our creative process. Right. That's funny. Uh, well, maybe which you said this was last year or two years ago. Yeah. Two. So you still have some students that are at that school that, uh, would have been affected by that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so Definitely. I want to go back to kind of the beginning of what you were talking about. Uh, do your high school teachers know how much you appreciate them? Oh, that's a good question. I hope they do. I really, really hope that, that they do. Um, I, I, I've had some opportunities, um, to, to share with them, um, and, and to share my story with other people, um, I, I know that, uh, I know that they know what they did for me. Um, I know that, that they know that, that they were a formative part of, of my, not just upbringing, but, but creation as a, as an, as an educator and as an artist. Um, I think what's, uh, what's difficult is that, uh, you know, we're in the same district and so like, I'm now competing with them. Uh, when it comes to competition stuff yeah. and, and, and that's not just about UIL, that's not just about like comp competitive shows. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we're, we're competing for, for reviews, we're competing for, for praise, we're competing yeah. for students. Um, and, and, and it's unfortunate that that's an aspect of it. Um, but, but at the same time, I think that that could be, that's a double-edged sword yeah. that can be used to, to motivate people. Um, and I think, I think sometimes it motivates them and it, it, it has motivated me in the past. And I think that, uh, like everything else in life, you kind of like go through a learning phase and adjusting and, and eventually reach this, um, this point of, of, of wisdom in yeah. which you can kind of settle in and embrace the situation. And I feel like we're starting to kind of embrace the situation and, uh, and, and ultimately, create a better district wide program that's going to benefit all of our students. Sure. What, what was the moment that you think you got bit by the bug? Do you remember that moment? The moment I got bit by the bug. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll give you two okay. um, because okay. they're, they're two very bugs. different ones. Um, the, <laughs> The, the first the first time I realized that theater was my thing, I was a seventh grader and my theater arts teacher told me that I would that I should go see this play, their one act play. Um, and I was a football player at that time. So I after football practice, I went over to the theater uh, at the high school and I sat by myself in the back. I, I hadn't showered, so I knew I was smelly. And I sat very far away and didn't want anyone to know I was there. And it was a wonderful production of The Diviners. Like, it's one of those productions where you really wish you could go back and see because you're not sure if it was your seventh grade self not knowing any better or if that was like a once-in-a-lifetime production. Um, because I think it was the latter. Yeah. I mean, the, the students who, who were in that show, they were eighth graders, right? It was a middle school production. 
but they they went on to to do really well in high school and many of them studied theater afterwards and and it brought me to tears it it really moved me and and i think that was the moment where i was like that's me that's this is what i want to do this is where i need to be now the moment i decided that i wanted to direct theater and really be a part of theater like kind of as a as my life and as my career comes back to my high school directors who uh, embraced us having a student directed play festival. And we started that kind of with my first year of high school. And so it was in its inaugural infancy stage, my freshman year. And I, I remember the theater director saying like, well, you know, I don't wanna say no to you applying to be a director, right. But also you're a freshman, so <laughs> we'll see, right? Um, I, I don't think they had enough people. And so by default, I, I think I was kind of accepted. And, and we turned it into a little competition to mimic uh, the one act play contest. And, 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 and we won. And we, but it wasn't about that. It was about sitting down and watching the performance, right? And this is something that every theater director out there understands you watching that performance, especially on opening night. And so a teenager doing that is so powerful and has so much potential to allow them to see, you know, what, what this is like. And, and I, I it's something that's something that I haven't been able to replicate in my teaching in my uh, high school department. Um, so, you know, even more just kudos and shout outs to, to my high school directors for, for doing that do, do you think as that's, much as you can. If, if, do you think that's though a change of the times? Like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not an old guy. We're probably very similar age, but do you think that, because I, I have a similar experience as that, but do you think that's because, you know, not to knock you down, that's the kids. That's just, you know, the, the, where we are now, it's not that the kids have, are, are worse. It's just that the kids are different and they're more instant gratification. And do you think that has anything to do with that? Yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely possible. Yeah. There's no denying that, that students are different, that uh, we are always a, a product of our circumstances and our environment and the circumstances in which we live in now versus 10 years or 20 years ago, uh, 30 years. I mean, you can go further back and every, every generation is totally different. And, and I think we, uh, my generation was really on the tail end of, of that, you know, really, uh, really kind of giving people the opportunity and letting them run with it. And, um, and yeah, I, unfortunately, I do think that we're in a, we're in a, an age in which, um, you know, you tell a student to to go direct a show and they don't have access to facilities because they can't offer their one facility to five groups. Right. Um, kids are going to throw their hands up in the air, like, well, if I can't rehearse here, where can I rehearse? Like, we rehearsed in people's driveways. Yeah. Uh, we rehearsed at my church when we had to. Um, we. We, we literally stole couches out of friends' living rooms to be set pieces for the, for the day of the show. <laughs> and and it, it is kind of hard to imagine students doing that today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I know it, it might've been like a, a no duh kind of question, but I mean, it's, it becomes more of a honus on the, the teacher to try to replicate what their you know, what their education was, but we can't replicate it. We can only 
tried to adapt and you know see and steal like you like you said kind of ideas from each other and uh i think that that that's one mm-hmm. of the positives of like the the facebook groups and things like that where people are constantly sharing some some good and bad ideas that work in their place or they tried it and it didn't work or something to that effect uh, I, I think the the follow-up question to that is if that's not the way in which students, you know, learn and, and have that same kind of experience, uh, what is, you right. know, if, if, if the times are going to change and the students are going to change as, as a result of that, the way to reach them is also just changed. Right. So it's, it's kind of our job to find out how do we approach them and how do we, how do we get them hooked and uh, and learning and having similar experiences in a different way yeah i think you know and this is my own personal opinion i think when you know in the in the 90s and probably even before that but i wasn't doing theater uh we uh were kind of there were kids that fell in love with theater and then there were kids that already knew they loved theater i think we're going away from the former now I think you're starting to see that you have great kids in your classes that already that walk in day one, they know they are a theater kid and you can point them out uh, probably, but there we're losing the, the bug. We're losing Mm -hmm. the ability to get a kid to love theater. Now I know you have a, you have kids that, that do end up falling in love with it. I can name a couple of my students that didn't like it to begin with and fell in love with it, but I think it's becoming less and less the number, the percentage is becoming right. less uh, with the kids that that buy in eventually, and I I've always kind of wondered why. You know what what is it that 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 is making them lose kind of the interest or the buy in? Yeah. So no, you're you're totally right. And on, on one hand, my my instinct is to say, well, you got to do cooler shows. <laughs> you got to do shows that are really going to reach an audience. Yeah. You know, like. Um, if, if you're, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to recruit more people and, and not just about, you know, increasing your numbers, but, but really allow people to appreciate and understand, uh, theater in their world, in their life, from their perspective, you know, maybe we have to consider not doing the 1950s musicals. Right. Uh, maybe we've got to, maybe we've got to take a different approach. Um, but at the same time. I'm, I'm immediately reminded that the 1950s musicals were, were not necessarily super hip and cool. They were always what they were. And, and people were falling in love with guys and dolls at one point. Why can't we fall in love with it now, right? Um, it, theater, um, the, the plays and the scripts haven't changed. Right. Uh, so, so if people were falling in love with it then, then, and that's not the variable that's causing this. I think it's an external environmental issue. Yeah, yeah. And the other the other thing about that, I think that goes along with that point is, you know, the shows back then, the 40s, 50s, the golden era, if you will, that those songs were played on the mm-hmm. radio. Those were those were like, you know, those sure. were pop songs, really. Uh, and I think we, except for, you know, you could argue Hamilton a little bit, and I know people have their opinions, uh, polarized opinions on Hamilton, but I think Hamilton, the one thing that it has done is it, it kind of, not that a top 40 station is necessarily playing their content, but it has created more of that top 40 
pop vibe that other shows haven't. You could say Wicked did that um, as well to an extent. And then now these movies are doing it, which they always have, but you know, the, even more so with like Frozen and, and, and songs that come from those shows. But, you know, we'll see where that goes. It's an interesting point yeah. about um, if it was popular, yeah. then why and, can't it be popular? And I mean, the other thing is like, even if the radio decided to suddenly play all these wonderful new contemporary Broadway songs, no one listens to the radio. <laughs> what, you know, what is the top 40? Uh, if it's not on Netflix or, or Hulu or Disney plus, um, it, you, you who, who are you really I, playing it for? I take great offense to that. I listen to my morning show every morning. So, <laughs> so but they don't play music. Well, so you've I already guess. caught the bug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And they, and again, they don't, they play like, it's a it's a it's a grunge song every morning. It's one song. It's either Nirvana or Foo Fighters. So it's like, you know, definitely there are people our age that are listening, but nobody else. <laughs> so I totally get right. That. Yeah, no students this age. <laughs> students this age are gonna assume that AMFM is a different acronym for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very funny. Um, so I I wanted to I want to get into the underground side of things that you were talking about earlier uh, kind of doing that stuff at Ithaca. Cool. Cause I, I, I did a very similar thing at UH and back when I went to UH, there was, um, uh, there was a master's program, but it re really wasn't doing much. Uh, now it's flipped. It's the master's program is driving the program and the bachelor's is not as much. But, um, when I was there for my bachelor's, we did the same thing. We kind of had an underground experience, if you will, that, uh, we would, like you said, we would steal things. And st by steal, we mean our buddy would know that we're taking their couch, but maybe not realize why we're taking their couch <laughs> or something, you know, that, like that. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, uh, there was that that kind of, if we're not going to be able to do it on the big proscenium stage, let's go find some place to do it. So how do you think that experience for you kind of prepared you for public education, for life in public education? there is nothing else that prepared me more than that experience. And I think that the epitome of it was seen in my, my senior directing project. So I had this, this final show that I was going to do and it was allowed to take place in this tiny studio. I mean, we're talking like no more than like 20 by 20 little small room with a tiny grid, you could fit in 50 to 70 people at the most. Uh, and, and I wanted to do a big show and there were enough, I think there was enough support um, to, to do a big cast show. So it just, the, the projects just started growing and growing. And it even got to a point where, um, you know, I had, I had people on board who wanted to work with us to, to create a budget. And so we did a Kickstarter campaign back when Kickstarter was the only one. And, and we raised uh, five or $6,000 to, to provide X, Y, and Z for the production. And, and eventually it got to a point where I went to the head of the department and I said, why can't I do this on the main stage? If there's nothing else happening this weekend, which I don't think there is, why can't I load in perform that day, load out, no problem. And, and he said, you can use the stage, but you can't use anything else. You can't, so, so what that really amounted to was you can't touch our light board and you can't turn on the stage lights. 
because it's probably being set up for a different show or we just don't have the training or whatnot. And, and at the time that was furious. I, I, was, I was so upset and angry, but what we did was we factored that into our budget and we found a place that rented lights and I was working with a lighting designer who understood DMX to USB converters and running lights from a laptop, which now is very accessible. 10 years ago, I didn't even know it was possible. And, and we rented stage lights for a weekend and we yeah. drove an hour away to go load stage lights into these, into two different cars. And we set them up in the morning of a show and, and, and it was all pre-programmed. And, and I watched this guy run lights that he set up the day of from a laptop. What better way to prepare someone to be a theater educator yeah, yeah, than to yeah. make them do that yeah. as opposed to it, it's right there, go turn it on. Yeah. And you watch someone turn it on. Right. Um, it was, and, and the lighting wasn't great as you can imagine. Like there, there was not that many lights to begin with. So, you know, dark shadows here and there. It's a lot of like front light and not a lot of top light. Right. Couldn't get into the catwalk. So we're hanging on on these booms and this and that. And and it wasn't great, but it wasn't about the product. Right. It was about the process. And the process resulted in me having a lot more confidence in being able to do projects like that in the future. Right. Yeah, that's great. And, and I, I totally, I can, I think most people can empathize with that, that went through that. Uh what is the proudest and maybe even the lowest moment you had in that kind of education? Not at, not at Ithaca. I just mean in that in that world of uh, in experimental theater or found space theater. What is kind of the highest moment that you had, and then kind of the moment where you're like, "Oh my God, I, I'm doing. I'm in the middle of this warehouse that used to." dump out oil drums or something, you know, <laughs> like what, what's one of each? <laughs> well, my, I think my, one of my highest moments, my proudest moments came from my very first year of teaching. And in that year I had already decided on a one act play that was intentionally a very small cast, smallest one I've done to date. I think there was five actors in it, but the students kept showing up. And there were a lot of, of upperclassmen who felt like, oh, this, this program wasn't here when I was, you know, or, or when I was younger and, and I've got to, I've got to do something now. And so I had this, this senior leader who wanted to direct a show. And I decided that instead of him kind of doing, doing crew the entire time of the one act process, that I would kind of hand him the reins to do a senior directing project. And, and he put together almost Maine with entirely separate actors for every scene. So uh, almost a cast of 20 something, right? And, and we put it inside a super small, what we still call a black box. Um, it's, it's not a black box theater. There's no grid, there's no lighting, but it's a, it's a square box room that we painted black just for that show. And it's still black to this day. And, and we fit in, I think, 40 people at a time. I mean, it's really small. So 40 people got to see it, but they got to see it really up close. And we had some lighting, um, but, but the students were phenomenal. And, 
and they were listening and respecting their student director. And the proudest moment came from a veteran teacher on campus who came to see the show. And she sent a campus-wide email the day after the show and said, in my 20 something years of being at this campus, this is the best show I have ever seen. And I didn't do anything for it. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure those students would say that's not true. Um, I had a hand in the lighting. I had a hand in this and that, and I was helping them. Right. But at the same time, there is no way that it would have happened without without their leadership, without their passion. And so really, I mean, the fact that you could just kind of snap your fingers yeah. and and give give permission for people to be successful. Um, you know, hard work is something to be proud of, but I think there's also a lot to be said for the really easy decisions we make that 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 have giant impacts on other people, right. and 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 we are so close to like not making those decisions or holding people back, and so making those that decision to have a senior directing project and letting them run with it, uh, I was I was so proud of that. My lowest point. Ooh, <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that a lot of people's low points are going to revolve around the one act play contest. Right, sure, which, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I have a I have a lot of qualms with. Um, I, I, as much as I value uh, what the one act play contest does for students, what it did for me as a student, yeah. I, I think that if I could snap my fingers and do away with it today, I oh, yeah. would because yeah. because of the competitive nature. Yeah. I'm with you. So we got to, we got to area in a really hard area where, where the advancers ended up going to state. Uh, we got to area one year with water by the spoonful. And it was my, it was the senior year for my first group of students. So fourth year, and it was kind of their culmination. And, and I poured my heart and my soul into this production and and we had an issue with the casting yeah. and the, a student who was playing a specific role had to, had to leave. And so an understudy filled in, but the caveat with that understudy was that if we got to area, they wouldn't be there. Um, she had a prior engagement and, and I made the decision to go ahead with it because you, you only get one, one performance for sure. Right. Right. So why, why make a decision on, on area? You got one performance at a time. Right. We put her in, she did really well. She got best actress in a, in a supporting role. And then area came around and the tough decision on who goes into that role. And, and there was an understudy who was a freshman. There was a crew member who was a senior who did not get cast. And that person had been with me all four years and had not gotten the roles that she had been wanting and trying yeah. for and, and deserved by every definition. So I put the senior in and she did fine, but that defaulted that freshman understudy to suddenly learning how to do and run the projections during a show. Needless to say, Everything seemed to fall apart during the performance. We still ended up with alternate. I'm 
very proud of the production, but I feel like that was a really low point yeah. for, for me um, and, and for some of those students because it wasn't what we could have done. Right. And, and I don't blame any one of them. Um, I think that, that ultimately, um, you know, maybe it's my fault. Maybe it's no one's fault. Maybe, maybe that's just the nature of this. Uh, there are going to be bad performances and that was one of them. Maybe it would have happened with the perfect cast anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the whole second guessing yourself of, did I put the kids in the right spots to succeed and, you know, do their best and be their best. Um, that's always tough yep. for teachers, you know, it's, uh, especially, I think uh, personally, maybe I'm biased because I'm a technical theater director. Um, I think it's more, uh, detrimental when, when you're putting a technical student or a technician in uh, a spot that is foreign to them. You know, it's, it's, there's right. so much pressure. There's just, you know, there's something to be said about an actor that's not secure that goes out on stage, eventually that first clap or that first laugh or something is going to break the kind of insecurity for them at some point in the show. And that doesn't happen for technicians. I don't think, um, I know personally I'll sit there for when I was a touring artist and uh, a lighting designer on the road for two hours, I was tense, you know, thinking the entire time I've got to get everything right for two hours. Um, and because nobody's, I know nobody's clapping for me. Uh, and, and they're like, oh man, you know, the, the, the song ends and the blackout was perfect. And nobody's like, oh my gosh, that blackout. And they just, you know, break out into <laughs> applause. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it's, it's one of those things. I just feel like technicians sometimes are, uh, during the duration of a performance or a production, they're, they're, they're tense. Anxiety is just going the entire time. And, uh, it's not always the case for an actor because they do have those moments of, oh, the audience is listening. Um, you know, they, they confirm that they are, res they're, they're hearing the words that somebody's saying because they laugh or cry or clap or, or sigh, whatever. I know I just rhymed a little bit. So, um, mm -hmm. I just had mm -hmm. my Seuss moment. Uh, I, I, I gotta know, um, as far as your, like you were talking about that moment you were getting ready to sign to go into the military is there a part of you still that is right. uh, sort of uh, militaristic is a negative word. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to figure out what the word I'm looking for is, but is there a part of you that still has that kind of regimented schedule type of um, you know, the, the, that military type feel, I mean, I'm looking at you now, you have a shaved head. So do I, but there's nothing military about me. So I'm going to assume, <laughs> you know, the same, the same with you, but you know, is there still that kind of craving to, right. to, to get that? And, and do you, do you get that from your kids, from being like a director that's able to kind of lead something that's structured and has, you know, make sure you do this, 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 that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, that, that's a great question. I, I've i never been terribly great at structure. And so I don't think that that's the, the element uh, in which I would have necessarily fit in in, in a, a military life. Uh, but, I, but what comes to mind is something that I, I've actually been experiencing and reflecting on lately, uh, which is the need to work with my hands. Um, I, I love, uh, you know, the quote unquote, the, the hard day's work. Um, I 
And, and I've seen this, uh, one of the ways in which this is clear is my switching from theater arts teacher to technical teacher. Um, I've done I've done both. And there was a moment in time where I was so I was so excited and and enjoying uh, construction and lighting and this and that because of the physical nature of it. And so when we hired a assistant theater arts director, we ended up going with uh, the, the acting coach director uh, who was really great and experienced. And, and that kind of defaulted me into, into the tech uh, position because I felt like I had enough knowledge to do that now. And, and, and I did, um, and it was fun. I'm now back teaching the acting classes and, and being the primary uh, director but I really, really, really love working with my hands. And that's something that I think, uh, I mean, anyone who does knows that, that this, this year, this pandemic um, has kind of deprived us of that. Um, I, I just recently bought my first house and, and I, I wanted it at the beginning of the pandemic because I was like, I, I could be doing all this stuff. I could be building things right now instead of sitting in this apartment where uh, it doesn't make any sense to even, you know, change a light bulb sometimes. Like, you know, that's a landlord, like do this and do that. Like, I'm not gonna touch those things. So I, I just bought my first house and and I'm out there doing yard work and and I'm, you know, I'm mowing the grass, I'm, I'm raking this dead grass, I'm trying to kill all these weeds. And like, I, I think I could get someone to do it for X amount of dollars but I love being out there. I love sweating and I love the feeling of sitting down, drinking a cold glass of water and looking at what I've done. And, and it's something that I've, that I've been missing uh, throughout this, this year and this challenging time. And, and so I, I think that, that that's an aspect of me that, that could have thrived in, in a different kind of world. Um, sure. I, I, I've often thought about trying to jump into like a construction site during a summer, but I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could hack it. <laughs> yeah. And it's also hot. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, uh, right. the, the heat is just, unless you're used to it. I mean, it's, it's just tough. It's brutal, right. especially where you are too. Uh, so I see, you know, mm -hmm. through, through the green screen effect of, of zoom, uh, and I pay, I mentioned it earlier, but I see your space behind you. Uh, uh, from the booth, if you will. And you said it's renovated, right? This is, is this the renovated space? Right. Okay. So what is, yep. what is something that is now in your space that you've wanted for so long that is finally in the renovation that you're like, you know, that, that maybe you immediately went to play with, or you, you were like the kids come look at this <laughs> you know it's like it's so cool that we finally have this what what is something or some things yeah there, there's a couple uh the first thing that was really exciting happened before the actual renovation uh our theater has it, it's more of like a music hall um really really long uh sections of chairs uh there, it, it's originally 1200 seats a uh, very, very big space and really, really long sections of chairs. And so to get from house left to house right, you have to walk through an aisle. There was no middle section 
like you normally see uh, to walk kind of horizontally throughout the space. And so one of my original proposals uh, from the very beginning was let's take out two rows there in the middle. We've got plenty of seats. We don't need them all. Let's take out two rows so we can walk. I can set up a table, work from the middle of the house, and I can take those seats and put them in the theater classroom. And I found these boxes of carpet tile left over from the last time they put carpet down in the auditorium. I've already counted them. There's enough to cover the square footage of the missing seats that we're gonna take out. It's not gonna cost anything. And so they eventually gave us the go ahead to do that. And we did that. And that, that was just a tiny thing of like, you know, it's not, it's not about putting my fingerprints on that. It's about kind of inspiring and, uh, and, and letting the, the decision makers understand and trust that us theater teachers know what we're talking about, that we're not just an average teacher that, you know, came, well, yeah, we studied art and theater and acting and dancing and this and that. And, and now we're coming in and we want to talk about acting. Like, well, there's a lot of practicality and, and really logistical knowledge that many theater e educators have. And oftentimes there's nobody better to go to in the district than those people in terms of making decisions about yeah. facilities. Yeah. So that was the first thing that was really exciting. A couple of other things. I mean, our our big auditorium, one of our school colors is uh, is gold. We're purple and gold, which kind of turns into purple and yellow. <laughs> and the walls were were literally this. Uh, they they say like Easter yellow, like kind of pastelly. To me, it was urine. It was urine <laughs> yellow, and and it was disgusting and and very dated. And, and the chairs were falling apart. And so part of the renovation, like the, the real answer should be the LED lighting, sure. the psych <laughs> that we didn't have, you know, being able to have psych lights and change them to every color. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of thought, a lot of theater educators have gone through that transition in the past year to 10 years. Yeah. And, and they know that moment that you turn on the psych lights for the first time and, and, and you all say, pick a color, any color, I can do whatever <laughs> color you want. And that's super cool. But I also expected that. Right. Like I was already ready for that. And our students were too. They've seen it in other schools and they're like, when's ours coming? So that didn't really surprise anyone. What really surprised people was sitting down in these new seats and looking around and just saying, this looks good. Yeah. Because it, it just never occurred to us that, that this really kind of forgotten space um very utilized it's a 50 no it's a yeah 50 something year old building um and, and it was just long overdue for for a makeover and and we were we were excited for new curtains we had some torn ones we were excited for lights we didn't realize how good it would just look to sit down and look around right and that was really really cool that's neat. That's a good answer. I, I like that. Uh, so I'm going to wrap up with something fun. Uh, I think we've been way too cool. theatrical and nobody wants to hear that. So uh, uh, I, I got to know what, uh, and, and, and it could be new. I, I don't want to guide you this direction, but you mentioned just buying a new house and um, I we are on our second house and that's only because my wife likes to, she's got to have new projects, but um, the, 
I don't want to steer you towards HGTV, but I got to know what is a guilty pleasure of yours that that you uh, that some people might know about you, but you know, mine is yeah, I. I will sit with my wife and watch HGTV and I won't hate it. Uh, it's not something I crave, but I will do it and I actually get ideas from it. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. But um, what is what is something you, you might have that you don't mind getting out there? <laughs> well, uh, HGTV is definitely, definitely up there. More specifically, <laughs> Fixer Upper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea who, who Chip and Joanna Gaines were yeah. until the beginning of this pandemic. Yeah. And uh, within a matter of a month, we had watched every single episode. <laughs> and so there's 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 definitely a lot of that. But but I'm, I'm not so much ashamed about that because I feel like so many people yeah. will are probably thinking like, yeah, duh, like yeah. what? You just found out about them? Or <laughs> or maybe they did and, and they, they felt the same way. Like, um, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought it was just really, really cool to, to watch that. And especially like how other, their Texans and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but I think another, another kind of guilty pleasure um, is, is watching what the kids watch. Um, I, I want to not only, um, not only stay up to date with and and you be in the loop uh, yeah. and understand um, there's a lot of legitimacy toward uh trying to to be in their circle and speak their language so yeah. to say but but at the same time it's like it's not just about that sometimes it's like we all need recommendations on what to watch on netflix and <laughs> yeah. and and sometimes i feel like if it's cool enough for a 16 year old it's probably pretty cool yeah many times it's very disappointingly wrong yeah but sometimes, sometimes it's cool. And, and I watched this show on Netflix called, um, on my block and, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's (laughs) at the end of the day, there's nothing super exciting about it, but I'd be lying if I said, Oh, I only watch it because my kids watch it. Like, I watch it because I like it. <laughs> so we'll end this podcast with recommending On the Block on Netflix. There you so there you go. <laughs> Minor win.